I know that I can strategize and pivot. I know I can empower and I know that I can inspire. And so what I've learned over the years is to pick my core team and do just that and then get them to manage those that are under them. And there really is a very distinct difference between a leader and a manager. This Dynamo serial entrepreneur and retail real estate expert has an impressive track record of building three successful New York-based businesses and a notable portfolio of real estate. Yet Pam Wolf says being a mom is the greatest passion she didn't know she had. Pam founded the New York Kids Club, disrupting the children's education market with the children's private enrichment and preschool with 18 locations in New York City, the first in Chicago, and 80 franchised in China. And now, her keen interest in the beauty and wellness industry has motivated her to create The Parlor, a revolutionary new experience for people who love beauty and wellness, which also allows beauty and wellness entrepreneurs to run their own businesses, but avoid the hassle of dealing with operational matters like real estate, maintenance, and office staffing. It's a bold concept that has every sign of being the next big idea. Coming up, you'll hear a conversation chock full of inspiration, wisdom, and stories, including what makes an entrepreneur and how strongly she believes in the will. To go on after hearing knows how her own motherhood inspired her widely popular business, New York Kids Club, why sharing your success with the team you've built is one of the most exciting things about being an entrepreneur, why getting great at the things you're good at is crucial, and how being comfortable in asking for help is a key quality to success. This is the Entrepreneurista Podcast, presented by Socialfly. It's the best business meeting you'll ever have with must-hear real-life looks at how leading women in business are getting it done. And what it takes to build and grow a successful company. It's beyond the gram. With no filters. No limits. And plenty of surprises. Pam, we are so excited to have a conversation with you today. You have been an entrepreneur for over 30 years, but what I really want to know is what gave you that initial idea to start your business? Were you just a born entrepreneur? Did you have it in your blood? Well, when you say to start your business, I go back and think of that first business I started in the third grade (laughs) when my parents told me that it was not polite to be selling things as a girl outside in front of our house. So I assume you're referring to the New York Kids Club and the New York Preschool. But actually, I want to know about that third grade business. That sounds like you're talking to the same person. I'm talking to the same person. Let's talk about that one. We won't talk about that specifically, but let's talk about the fact that the word entrepreneur back then in my generation when um, I was doing these things back in the 70s and 80s was not the sexy term that it is now. And it was not the the term that others looked up to and think, oh, how exciting, you're a female entrepreneur. It was synonymous with carpetbagger back then, I'm convinced. And it was a word that people used when they were unemployed, according to my parents. So they told me not to talk or think about being an entrepreneur anymore because that's for people who can't figure out what to do with their careers. And so it's funny how the world's evolved and how words mean different things now and how people turn to me in awe and ask, what's it like to be a female entrepreneur? And I smile, and I'm proud of my path, but I smile and remember the days when it was the kind of thing my parents asked me not to speak about anymore. What were you selling in third grade? Oh, you know, literally anything I could find. And and I went on, which I I don't know if we'll we'll touch base on this, but I went on in, in 1988 to open one of New York City's largest outdoor antique markets. And it was in Soho at the time where the Grand Hotel now sits in an open space where I was selling things from various antique dealers from around this area. But I began by selling things from my house that I just thought I didn't want anymore. (laughs) 
So I grew up in a very simple family and we uh, either lived a simple life like like m- most of my family members or you hustled like I did and thought I could move myself a little further from this life and that, that meant selling things. So we took the lemonade stand to a whole nother level in our family. Did you ever have an actual lemonade stand? Well, I never had the actual lemonade stand, but my own children had an actual lemonade stand and, and they're they're adult children now. And they talk about the fact that I wouldn't. I forbid them to go outside with anything from my house until I saw a business plan on exactly how they were going to do this. And they were all young at the time. And then I talked. Were you, they raised in New York City? They were raised in New York City. So we were on the corner yeah, of Central Park West <laughs> and 86th Street, the busiest corner, rated one of the busiest corners in New York City. After they presented me with a business plan, I told them that they needed to find investors to raise money because they weren't (laughs) going to go in my cabinets and take out sugar or lemon or cookies or juice, that those were my belongings. And interestingly (laughs) enough, you know my brother, Jim, who's introduced me to you. He was their investor. And I (laughs) I taught him to teach them about the return he wanted on the investment. And then we had a beloved housekeeper that's worked with us for years, but they asked her to help them make the cookies. And I said, don't help them unless you set your rate. This is a different rate. Don't smile. (laughs) But interestingly enough, they learned a lot from that. They learned that you don't go into business without a plan, without money, without understanding that you have to pay those that are helping you in some way, shape, or form. And they're all adults now, and two out of the four have a strong entrepreneurial spirit. So... Is it in the genes or is it taught? I don't know, but I taught all four and two seem to have it. And now I want to learn more about New York Kids Club. How did that come to be? The New York Kids Club uh, came about in in actually the simplest of fashions. And and I'll, I'll give you just a little history. Prior to the New York Kids Club, I was working in uh, my own business as well, which was called Career Connections. And in 1990, when that was at its height, we were an executive search firm for the pharmaceutical and the legal industry. Mm -hmm. Um, Back in that day, just so you can recall, which you may not recall, but back in the day, pre-internet, there were no Indeed, LinkedIn, Glassdoor, or any other way for a large corporation to find talent other than go through a headhunting or a placement agency. So while they're perhaps almost defunct now, in the day, that was considered a very thriving and lucrative business. I was in business with my partner, a male partner who I'm still friends with to this day and who is still in the same business. And I was pregnant with my first daughter, Jessica, who's 28 years old now, and I love being pregnant, and I had an easy time of it. I was lucky enough to have an easy time of it, and I love to work. I Not just work, but I like the puzzle of business. It's a passion of mine. I sometimes think I, I should have started golf or made more friends or tennis because <laughs> still hustling to this day and wonder when do you play golf. But anyway, <laughs> I left maybe a week or a day. I don't know. Some people say it was a day uh, before Jessica was born to give birth and told my partner and the team that was there that I'll be back in a couple of weeks, which physically I felt good. I was lucky. And, and Jessica was an easy birth and a, as wonderful then as she is now. But I gave birth, saw Jessica's face and thought, not only am I not going back in two weeks, I'm not going back. And that came to the absolute shock of my husband, my family, and everyone that knew me because I really do have the passion for business puzzles and figuring it out and working. But seeing Jessica and realizing that being a mom was perhaps the greatest passion that I didn't know I have, I said, I'm staying home with her. And we worked it out uh, between my partner and I. He, as I mentioned, we're still friends, and he has the full share of the business now and is doing well. Fourteen months later, I had my son, Jared. A year and a half after that, I had my daughter, Jenna. And shortly after that, I had my son, Joshua. My husband said I ran the house like a business <laughs> because we had a hustle going. We were up in the morning. We were out at classes. We were doing things every minute of every day, which... I'm not saying that's the right way to raise children. It's the only way I knew how to live. And the structure of my business day got translated to the structure of the house. I didn't know how to just sit down and relax and and play or wander out. 
of the house at noon. So we were on the move. And while we were on the move, we were attending the things that I thought every New York child needed and the kids expressed interest in. We were on the east side for ballet and uptown for martial arts and Jessica took an art class and everybody was in a foreign language class and three of them were in a swimming class. And as I looked at each one of these businesses, I thought, wow, there's real opportunity here to disrupt an industry that's very interesting but hasn't changed in years. And all the while I was thinking, I love being a mom love being a mom, but I have to get back into the business world. And so my only choice was that I start a business that I could bring my four children to every day. And that, I swear, is how it was born. So I thought, what if I disrupt the entire industry and instead of hosting these classes in the basement of churches or in temples or in living rooms or in public schools, what if I lease ground floor at Class A real estate and run this like a hospitality business where we know your name, where we serve wine on Friday afternoons and tailor the curriculum to your child and curate their itinerary for them from eight weeks old to eight years old? And so I set forth, and I always say the definition of of an entrepreneur is someone who hears, no, that won't work, from everyone they know, and they do it anyway. Because the first person to say no, who's usually not the naysayer of the earth, was my husband, who said, absolutely not. That would cost a lot of money that I'm not going to let you risk. No landlord will ever sign you on Class A real estate. And you don't even know the first thing about early childhood education. (laughs) (laughs) So... I said, thanks. So then I asked a few other people, and the hands down, the sentiment was, no, that's that's a lot of money, a big risk, and you don't know How what much money doing. did you need to be able to start this business? Well, what I needed to do was sign a lease. And in, in signing the lease, I needed to, one, convince a landlord and then be able to pay what at the time was over $20,000 a month and sign personally, because they, I didn't have a guarantee that I could give, sign personally on the dotted line for a number of years. And then the build-out, which was close to a half a million dollars, which by the way, the build-outs now are, are four times that, but at the time, close to a half a million dollars, all put me in a precarious position of, will anyone come to this school now that I've signed on for 10 years of a lease and put the money in? But I have a number of different sayings. I'm known for my my quotes, but one of them is, plan B is to revisit plan A until it works. <laughs> and so while everyone was asking me, where are you going to get these first students? What are you going to do? And this was pre-internet. And I think the internet had just come out, but I sure didn't know what a website was or how to build it or how to get clients. So I was really getting them the organic, old-fashioned grassroots way. I had my brother out on the street passing out flyers for me. He he did not have a job at the time, and I was paying a minimum wage. I was going to ask what you were paying. <laughs> to smile at the, the pretty moms, and he was always handsome. <laughs> to smile at the pretty moms and convince it's a great them to strategy. come in. <laughs> so come to needless to say, we, we we opened our doors, which was a leap of faith for a lot of moms because we, we would ask for payment in full in advance of taking your classes. And these were semester-long classes. Where was the first location? The, this is part of it, too. So my husband told me you have four young children and your hands full and running a business at this time just doesn't make sense. So I decided I'll look for a place on my street. Mm. And I lived on 87th and Central Park West. The old Big Apple grocery store on 87th and Broadway had closed. People again told me you'll never get the grocery store. It's owned by a big landlord and they're looking for an operator with experience. I got the grocery store on 87th and Broadway. My children were in school on 91st, and I lived in a triangle for five years. Drop the kids off at school, go to 87th Street, pick the kids up at school, go home, and lived in that triangle of of my life for a long time. Needless to say, the first New York Kids Club opened. It was was trials and tribulations, but it it was a, a very interesting and trying time. We opened on uh, September 15th, 2001, Mm -hmm. three days after what I consider to be New York City's darkest days, and marched forth. And um, against almost everyone I look for advice in, against everyone's opinion, uh, we did very well and continued to to grow. We're um, 19 years old now and have uh, 20 schools in New York City, 
uh, 60,000 children that come to us a year for our various programming and um, have franchised over 100 schools in, in China and have uh, our first school outside of New York and Chicago. So it's been exciting. Wow. Congratulations. What Thank an accomplishment. You. It was, it was you know, I love children. And so while there were a lot of moving parts and a lot of complications, to be around children all day long. I know you all love dogs and you think being around dogs all day long is fun, but to be around children all day long and not be their teacher or their mom is pretty exciting and fun. So it was good. And then you eventually sold the New York Kids Club, correct? I sold a majority share. I stayed in for 40%, though, which um, makes me not in control, but I I chair the board and I still acquire the real estate for all New York Kids Club's locations. Um, But yes, I gave up control. What made you decide to sell part of it? Like so many things in my life, decisions come to me very quickly. And for better or for worse, I I act on them. Another one of my sayings is um, that I'd rather make a quick decision and live with it and fix it if it was the wrong decision than drag out the time to make a decision. So I, I tend to react very quickly which over the years my team hasn't loved, so they try to slow me down on certain (laughs) things. But as we continue to grow at the New York Kids Club and and go from the first seven employees and one location to 750 employees and 20 locations, I began to question whether or not my leadership, which I called myself, I know everyone calls me the CEO of the New York Kids Club, but sometimes when I would go home and and be able to let my guard down in front of my family and my children, I would say, I'm a fake CEO. I'm learning on the job. Everyone's calling me something that I'm not. But we were successful and very profitable and, and continuing to grow. So the world viewed me as just that. But I began to wonder if the model I had created could be 100 locations and be in 50 states, or could it be 200 or 300 locations? Could it be a worldwide model? And the answer when I asked myself that was yes. We can continue to grow at this level. We've proven that everything that we do in early childhood education is different and unique and widely accepted, and that the core team that I built to help me lead this had been with me for almost 15 years was exceptional. What I questioned, and and I think my questioning was correct, was, am I the person to take it to that next level? And in my mind, the answer was no. I, I think I'm a fantastic founder. I think I'm a great leader. But I think I perhaps lacked the skills to take a company that had reached this level of sales to the next great level. I think we could have stayed at the level we were at for a long time. Sometimes I'd have these fears of growing out of business, meaning you continue to grow at the rate you've grown, but you hit a point where you are slipping in terms of EBITDA and other things. And I said, before that happens, before I let that happen to myself, to my team, to the reputation of the business I've started, I'm going to bring in experts that know what they're doing. And Again, my husband, had, because the business had, was quite profitable, and my husband, don't, don't do this, don't sell. I was like, I've been making decisions on my own for a long time. <laughs> he didn't even and want you to start this he business. He didn't even want me to start. It's another joke that we have <laughs> in my family. Did he get involved in the business ever? No. no. <laughs> and so my husband's in a completely different business. But the joke in our family is that the business had grown and had such a good story and was now on every 10 blocks in all major neighborhoods in New York City. And we'd go to some networking events, whether it was a YPO organization or others that we belong to. And I'd hear my husband while having a cocktail saying, oh, we're in the early childhood education business. And I'd look over and mouth at him, oh, we, we, (laughs) (laughs) me. It really is a joke because while we may not touch on this today, one thing that I will tell any entrepreneur or anyone starting out, that it's the support of your significant other, whatever way, shape and form that comes in that it takes in order to succeed. So I joke with my husband that it's not we, but while he doesn't work with me, I never could have been a mom and an entrepreneur without his full-on support. Coming up, Pam's new business, The Parlor, and why being a good member of the community is necessary. I want to learn more about Parlor. This is your new business opening up in April. Is that right? A Nomad? Yes. How did you come up with the idea? 
you know, that that's another good question because there's a lot of uh, answers to that. But when I describe entrepreneurs, because sometimes people ask me just in general about how I became an entrepreneur, I always talk about the idea that there are two different types of entrepreneurs. There's the type that invents something that the world never dreamed of. I guess I'd put Steve Jobs into that category. And then there's the type that looks at something that's in full existence and thinks, I bet I could do that better. That's the Uber category, where they took something that we all knew about and then just improved and changed the model. So I looked at the beauty and wellness world uh, and thought that there was an opportunity to offer this in different ways. And if I can just back up, I, I when I sold the New York Kids Club in, in 2016, the plan was that I remain as the CEO for two years uh, until we found a successor and that we transitioned from me to the to the new person. And we followed that plan to the T. And, and in 18, a successor was found and we transitioned from me to her. And I remember when I woke up in the morning the next day feeling literally elated because I thought while I enjoyed my work so much, I thought that a weight had been lifted off of my chest. I no longer, which of course I did, but I no longer had to worry about every moving part from payroll to people to curriculum to children to brick and mortar of 20 locations. I felt more free than I've ever felt in my life. And I joke that I, I started calling my four adult children and saying, let's get together, let's do something. And they are saying, Mom, we're working every day. <laughs> and I was like, at night, let's get together at night. And we have things, events, business school, boyfriends, stuff. And so, we're busy, Mom. <laughs> we're busy. And so I'll see you on Sunday. I was like, Sunday? It's Monday. What do you mean Sunday? But anyway, the joke in our family is that I spent 16 years growing a business and 28 years raising children, and now both were fully cooked and off on their own without me. And so the feeling of relief I had lasted for about two weeks before I thought, I got to get back into business. <laughs> and so I, I realized at this stage in my career and at my age that I needed to choose wisely. And choosing wisely meant that I put together a few different things on my list that had to be in place for me for this next round. And and one was that I wanted a small but mighty team. And, and when I say small, I really anticipated less than 10 key players on my team for the start and for the growth of this business. And while the team at the New York Kids Club was definitely what I always refer to as the secret sauce, I was not ever going to go back into 700 people on a team again. It just just wasn't what I wanted for my next stage. So I needed a small team. I needed an industry that I absolutely love. And what New York woman doesn't love? Some form of beauty. And it really does come in all ways, shapes, and forms. And wellness, which I like to talk about this too, because as we began this conversation, we talked about that entrepreneur wasn't really a word when I was younger. Well, wellness definitely wasn't a word. You were either sick or not, but there was no such thing as wellness. You Nobody went to the doctor to sort of preempt ever being sick. There was no idea of anti-aging or feeling good. You simply were sick or not. And so I became enamored with this idea that's so popular and has been for a while of wellness, about taking control of your life and really preventing illness and treating yourself long before that ever comes on. And so I'm, I'm fascinated with the world of wellness, with biohacking, with figuring out that if I really am going to live to 105, as research shows now, I better feel pretty darn good throughout those years. And so Beauty and wellness together really excited me. So that fell into my bucket of something I have to do with a small team. And then I started to look at where my expertise lies. And I, I've certainly become, for better or for worse, or for reasons uh, that just arrived, a bit of an expert in the real estate world in New York City. And I see that a lot of people struggle with that. It's, it's a puzzle. Neg finding, negotiating, building out real estate is a complex issue and some things that many businesses fail at, which set them up in a very bad position at the start of a business. 
So I took that area of expertise. I, I've been a business mentor for female founders for almost 10 years now, and I realized that a lot of people benefit from the advice and the guidance that I love to give as my pay it forward. And then I thought about the idea that when I go to get a haircut or some IV therapy or cryotherapy or injectables or laser or face peel, that I'm running uptown, downtown, out of town, etc. And I thought, what if I could do all of that? What if we could do all of the things that we need to do at any one time, all in the same place? This sounds like the start of New York Kids Club. <laughs> you know, you don't. <laughs> it sounds like the same story. Don't reinvent the wheel. <laughs> yeah. Exactly what I say. Stick to your knitting yeah. and do what you know best. So I thought, what if I could add a hospitality quotient to this so that when you walked in, it didn't feel like a spa or a doctor's office or a medispa, but instead you were greeted with not wine this time, but kombucha or adaptogens or turmeric lattes. What if you could spend hours in this space if you wanted to? Meaning, I also sort of dislike tremendously office spaces. There's something about the fluorescent light and the whole feel of an office that that I don't feel comfortable in. So my team knows that I work anywhere and everywhere other than an office. And sometimes that's coffee shops or lobbies of buildings or doctor's offices. But I'm never really welcome in any of those. And people are always looking at me wondering what I'm doing there. So I thought, what if you could get your hair done or have a stem cell injection or get your teeth whitened and then sit in that gorgeous space for the rest of the day, have a podcast, meet with your editor, answer emails, and enjoy yourself? And so the parlor was created to be just that. Not only is it the home now to 40 entrepreneurs, whether they're uh, solopreneurs coming from uh, other businesses that they've been rainmakers at, or if they're opening a second or a third location outside of their home country, their home state, or foraying in New York. But it's also a place that clients, and, and I consider anyone that's coming to the parlor for a service a client that clients can enjoy as their club, their Soho house of sorts, and relax, eat some healthy food, have a healthy drink and have a service, but also stay for the entire day if you choose. So it was born out of the idea that I would capitalize on everything that I think I've become good at and everything that I've seen others need help with. And then let's be honest, everything that I basically just want to do at work, like Get my hair done, get a massage, get your makeup have some done. cryotherapy, try a little lip injection, which I haven't tried yet, but I have that on my list, even though hopefully my husband's not listening to this podcast. That's another thing he forbids. He doesn't find the pouty look on a woman of my age interesting. <laughs> so that's how it started. And it, it's it's been a journey because convincing these members, for which I call them, to take a leap of faith and come to the parlor on an idea that they've never heard of has been difficult. I set out to curate what I consider to be some of the best in class in every category of beauty and wellness. It turns out that finding the B players, finding your basic hair cutter or your dermatologist or your plastic surgeon without the best reviews is very easy to find and they would have been happy to join us. We had over 380 applications and we didn't choose our first 30 uh, members until seeing all of the 300 and of that we only chose 30. So, How did it, you market the business since it's new to get people to apply to? We cast a very, very, very wide net so we went on LinkedIn, we went on social media, we uh, purchased Google Words, we enlisted ambassadors that went forth and introduced us to everyone within their network for a form of payment that we would get for anyone that became a member. But 95% of the members that we've signed on now came from me pounding the pavement mm -hmm. and going door to door and asking my friends, my dermatologist, my massage therapist, my hair colorist, who could you introduce me to? A referral from you will mean more than an Instagram ad means mm -hmm. to me. And so it was back to the basics. And I used to joke with my children because... You know, I'm getting close to 60 years old, and they would ask me, what did you do today? And I was like, I'm hustling, still hustling. <laughs> when does the hustle stop? But I joke about that. And when you have the hustle in you, that's what gets you excited and yeah. makes you happy. But I didn't think I'd be back on the pavement again, making appointments and sitting in 
offices and giving my pitch and saying, oh boy, is anyone going to sign on for this? But um, a year and a half later, I have from London, Italy, LA, and what I consider to be New York's premier providers, uh, all 40 of our members. Well, not all 40. I'm, I'm exaggerating. We have 36, but we have four left in the making, and we're choosing wisely. But 36 of what I consider to be premier providers. And the application process was rigid. If I put my stamp of approval on it, I have to know that they're good. And good doesn't just mean you're good at hair color. It means that you're hospitable and kind and you care. You operate with a level of professionalism that I deem to be special. And uh, finding caring, kind, warm, open people takes a search. And, and we've found them. And our motto is that you work for yourself at the parlor, but not by yourself. So if you're truly going to be a member of this intentional community, you have to be a real good member of the community. And so that that was part of it. And there's more to it. It's a lot of moving parts, not just one big beauty and hair party. There's There's events and professional development and Lots of different things happening. Will the providers be there every day? Does everyone have their own room or office? or How, how is the setup? It's interesting because I, I thought about that too. And I thought, I don't want to feel like a co-working space yeah. where everybody's just sort of in a little quiet room. What can I do to make this unique? And I need people that are here frequently because even though I have a celebrity facialist that's coming from London, if he's only here once or twice a month... This party isn't going to look fun. And so that took a lot of thought, too. And we built, which was a real bear of a build-up, but it looks so cool now. We built 40 individual suites. And these suites look like little cabins inside of a 14,000-square-foot cavernous space. Wow. We built 40 little houses with peaked roofs and chimneys and lights and open doors and locks and sound and music and signature scents and temp and light controlled environments and signs out front that look like street signs that say the name of your business. So when you walk into your little cabin, you're walking into your home. And some of our members are calling it the village. We, and I didn't line them all up and down straight. And we, we, you twist and turn and go around corners when you come into the parlor until you land on your member's house. And they invite you into the house. And we have our team that will be the concierges that are constantly facilitating relationships between anyone that's in our house. And we talk about that. If you had two people sitting in your living room, surely you'd introduce and facilitate a relationship between them. So anyone that's in our house or coming to our cabin will form relationships with. And that part's been fun, really fun. So yes, thanks for asking that question. We love the little cabins. Would have been real easy and not nearly as expensive to just build a co-working space, but that wouldn't have made us special. So is the business model the... Members are paying a monthly fee to be able to have their business out of the parlor. And then do you also get a percentage of sales as well? We call them members um, because they're members of the community rather than just people working in our space. The members license their suite on an annual basis and uh, pay the the suite fee on an annual basis. With that comes everything that we found becomes what I call an operational headache for our members. And so part of determining that this was a viable and what I think will be a great business is searching for the pain points of these operators. And while someone may be a fantastic reconstructive surgeon or a wonderful hair colorist, Many of them, and they'll admit to this too, struggle with the idea of how do I manage my front desk team? How do I manage my booking app? What do you mean if the toilet overflows that I have to find someone to fill that? I'm, I'm coloring a celebrity's hair right now. I don't attend to overflowing toilets, Wi-Fi that's down, phones that aren't working, booking apps that don't happen, snow on the front of my sidewalk because I didn't know I was to shovel my own real estate, et cetera, et cetera. And it's common and people fail in business 
Because while they're very good at what they do, they don't understand that running a business doesn't mean just being great at what you do. There's a lot more to it. And so the long answer to your question is that, yes, they license the suite from us for an annual, a monthly licensing fee on an annual basis, but we do everything else for them. So they just need to tap in in their very cool cloud-based key system and the music, air, lights, Wi-Fi, restrooms, food, concierge service will all be there and in place for them. What is the fee? Can you share? The fee is based on a square footage model and starts at $4,000 a month uh, for our standard size cabin and goes up to $20,000 a month for flagship spaces. And then uh, the people coming in and using the co-working space, I guess, or the lounge space, Do you, are, are those members too? Or no. anyone can just come in? Well, How does that work? We would be considered, <laughs> because I'm going to be one of those clients, so any one of us would be considered a client. Okay. And we're clients of the member. And the only thing that you would need to come in would be an appointment. And you could have an appointment just to have your nails done, and you could stay for the whole day mm. without paying anything. Mm. So the space is yours. It's your home. So our members invite you as their guest. You get a service, and you can stay. We have Daily Dose, which is a wonderful food entrepreneur herself uh, that's supplying our healthy keto, paleo, gluten-free <laughs> lactose-free food, and we have wonderful drinks, and we hope that you'll stay for the whole day. Because part of the business model is that women and men alike, when they meet someone and hear that what they've just had done, whether it's PRP injections or uh, deep tissue massage or cashmere lash extensions, you ask the person that's sitting in the cafe that you're all working in, Where'd you get those lashes? You look gorgeous. And it's like, oh, let us show you. It's just a suite around the corner yeah. over here. And so we think we'll build uh, everyone's business. But another requirement of being a member of the parlor was that you had a deep and loyal following of clients. Mm. This is not a business for the new entrepreneur. Uh, we don't anticipate that people will just wander in and make appointments. These are all members that have had long histories and very loyal following. So wherever they go, their clients will come to them. We just promise that your clients will love it here and that will help increase the clientele through the cross-marketing and, and sharing of business. So you open in this coming April. Yes. That's very soon. Very soon. Yes. So what do you have coming up and how are you going to market the parlor over the next few months to well, make a splash? The events will be very important for us and uh, inviting people to the events, not only to make a splash and, and get them in the parlor, but to educate them. Because we see that in this world of beauty and wellness, people need to be educated and, and, and we're a, a clientele that likes information and data. And beauty and wellness are broad terms, but what does biohacking mean? And what are telomeres? And why would I go into a cryotherapy chamber at 250 degrees below zero for three minutes? And what is IV therapy and glutathione? And what is non-chemical hair dye? And how does that work? And what is clean beauty? And so our events will be to really inform our clients and those in the world on what's out there for them. And what does it mean to uh, have a beauty treatment or a wellness treatment? And how does that affect you and your body and the decisions that you make? So we have our doctors, uh, Dr. Shah from Next Health, coming in from L.A. to address the Young Presidents Organization, the Forbes 30 Under 30 group. Uh, the Columbia Business School students, the Harvard Business School students, all people that we consider their own form of influencers in the beauty and wellness and consumer world. And we'll have our doctors speak, our estheticians speak, our, our derms and our plastics speak, and we'll speak to groups that will not only find how they paved their way into the business world very interesting, but what their services are all about. Our dentist practice, which is a a luxury dental practice called Henry the Dentist, uh, graduated from Harvard Business School. We had them on the podcast. Oh, you did? Mm -hmm. So Henry will join us at the parlor. And I, I, you did? I love Alex and Justin. So Alex and Justin will speak because Alex, as you know, comes from Dry Bar Mm -hmm. and Justin's sure not a dentist. So how (laughs) did they start this unique business that's been coined the Uber of dentistry when neither one of them has ever been in the dental world? And so they'll speak and everyone will talk about their business journey as well as what is it that they're offering. 
So in answer to your question, we'll open with events that we all think will be interesting and will appeal to specific audiences on those events. What day is opening day? We can't say what day opening day is because it will be three hours after my team and I, which I'm getting used to this through all the New York Kids Club, clear the last piece of dust. And that's usually how it works. So we never have soft openings in my business. <laughs> Up next, how being comfortable and asking for help is a key quality to success. You can connect with us at socialflyny.com and follow us on Instagram at entrepreneistas. Check out all our latest episodes at entrepreneistapodcast.com. A common theme from all of the guests we've interviewed on our podcast so far is that they've all relied on support from other women through groups. So we decided to start an Entrepreneista Facebook group. Head on over to Facebook and search Entrepreneistas. We really wanted to create a community for Entrepreneistas to connect, share ideas, help each other solve problems, and learn from all of our collective experiences. If you join the group, it's really a safe space to talk about being an entrepreneur, sharing your wins, asking for help when needed, and we can't wait to meet you so we can learn and grow together. What are some of the hardest parts of starting a business, like things that people should think about? There's literally a challenge every hour, whether it's if it's a brick and mortar building, whether it's with the Department of Building or your landlord. So those kinds of things, I I think, are hard conversations because you have to really learn to roll with it at all times. The minute you let a challenge get to you is the key sign that you're not cut out to be an entrepreneur. And I don't want to sound dismal, but... There is not really an hour that goes by without some form of a challenge oh, yeah. in business, some worse than others, some serious, others financially detrimental, others just annoying, but there's a challenge every second. In business, the, the only non-challenges are when you host your holiday party and you all have fun together, but every other day. Hey, even we had every a challenge. Other day, <laughs> hey, we had still still challenge. Oh, yeah. Oh, we had to close our open bar policy yeah. at our holiday party. So, yes. No open bar. I can't. Too, no more. I agree. Yeah. We had a problem with that as well. Yeah. A lot of people say, oh, I want to be an entrepreneur because I want to be my own boss or I want to work for myself. And I say, Whew, really be careful what you wish for because <laughs> at the New York Kids Club, I said, we have 40,000 bosses. The parents of these 20,000 children in our preschool are all our bosses. So there is no working for yourself. And at the parlor, I tell my team, we have 40 high-strung bosses now. These members, these derms, these hairstylists, these plastics, everyone, they're our bosses. And until we keep them very happy, we're not going to be good employees. So you have a boss on at every inch of your business. There's no working for yourself as an entrepreneur. What's been the most rewarding part of being an entrepreneur for you? I think the most rewarding part of being an entrepreneur is the success that you can share with a team. And any entrepreneur knows or will receive the advice from those that guide them that it's all about the team. Put together your A players, manage your team, lead your team, inspire your team. And that's hard to do, and that's really the secret sauce of being an entrepreneur. But once you do put together a team that you work well with and that you inspire and is inspired by you, I think that's the most exciting part of being an entrepreneur. You end up working with people you love. You build a work family. You celebrate successes, and you cry but not for too long. We always say, are you done crying yet? You (laughs) cry for a moment about your losses, and you move through together. Mm -hmm. So it's the team, and I think so fondly of the people that I've worked with over the past 30 years, and I'm friends with all of them. When you first decided to start Parlor, what was the first role that you needed to hire for? I I talk about this regularly, and it's be careful what you wish for and choose wisely. And I knew that my own advice was really important to me. And I knew that I needed an A team in order to succeed. And that after 15 years of, or 16, 17 years, I've lost track of leading the New York Kids Club. I knew better than anyone what my weaknesses were. And I knew that in choosing my team, I needed to find people that filled my holes. I know my strengths. And I definitely know my weaknesses. And so I set forth in putting together a team that were 
different than me in the ways that they uh, filled my holes, as I like to say, and had the skill set that I did not have. I, I also talk about don't try to get good at the things you're not good at. Just continue to get great at the things you are good at. And so in answer to your question, I didn't hire anyone, but I worked with consultants, and there have been 10 of them over the past 18 months. And I told each one that I'll hire you as a consultant on a monthly retainer, and uh, we'll evaluate our work relationship and the work that you do. I, I want you to evaluate me as well as I evaluate you. I, I tend to be intense, and, and those that like me love me, and those that don't simply don't. <laughs> That's the way it goes. And so I said, you evaluate me, and I'll evaluate you. And uh, in the end, may the best man and woman win. And of the 10 consultants, I've hired two as my permanent team. And now we go forth, the three of us, to build the rest of the team. Because I like buy-in from my top-level people on who else will be on this team. And so we had 30 interviews this week alone, and we'll decide as a three-person team who the other six members are. What are the roles that you have now? Like who made the cut from those first from the first group? So we've hired our general manager. Okay. We've hired our assistant general manager and we we hired very closely for the assistant general manager uh, in that both could be the general manager at this point. They're just a hair away from each other. But one thing I learned, no pun intended, not a But one thing I've learned, especially in a multi-location business uh, as my previous one, that we prepare for our growth now. And so as I prepare for the second location, which I'll I'll have proof of concept of this, but I'm I'm ready for that second location, uh, the best thing I can do is, is have my general manager ready to go. So we hired an assistant that can move as the general manager quickly into the second location, and we can always build the team under them. Mm. So we have the, the manager and the assistant manager, and we have our first concierge, which is really important to us because that hospitality position is extremely important. And then I think, which anyone that knows me will agree with, I think cleanliness is next to godliness. So I've hired the full maintenance cleaning team. (laughs) What would you say your strengths are? I believe my strengths are in my leadership. And I've had to really grapple with this over the years because I'm not a manager, but I am a leader. And in my businesses, I've assumed management roles wrongly. And I tend to not manage correctly. But I know that I lead with inspiration. I know that I can strategize and pivot. I know I can empower and I know that I can inspire. And so what I've learned over the years is to pick my core team and do just that and then get them to manage those that are under them. And there really is a very distinct difference between a leader and a manager. So when asked what I do well, I I feel very comfortable and very proud of my leadership skills. Not too many people want me to be their manager, nor do I want to manage them. So I look for real self-starters and those that can follow my vision and my direction without a lot of management. What are you grateful for every day? Oh, boy. I'm grateful for my health because every day I wake up, I feel good. Not always fantastic, but I feel good. And I never want to take for granted that something doesn't hurt or that there's not an underlying condition that I need to treat. And I'm surrounded with that uh, in my friends, in my family. And knock on wood, every day I say... Stay healthy. And in a city like New York, what do you like to do for fun? Oh, boy. Or even outside of New York. (laughs) You know, in and out of New York, fun is with the people you're with. So I adore my family. Um, My my brother, who's closer in age to my children than he is to me, (laughs) and my four adult children and my husband. And spending time with them doing anything seems like all we like to do is eat and drink but or maybe that's just me but 
We spend a lot of time doing that, but those are our best times. So just being together with the family. I love to be outside. I walk everywhere I go. I'm really on a subway or in a car. I'll, I'll walk 60 blocks. I'm sorry I was late for you, but I did walk 40 blocks to get here and wow. did get a taxi, <laughs> yeah. but I was late. So it's not always good. And it's cold. It's really cold outside. <laughs> I do walk everywhere. So I like outdoors. And um, when I leave the city, which I, everyone has to do, it's for a hiking or a walking or a, a outdoor trip. And something that Stephanie and I like to do is surprise and delight our guests. So mm. as a thank you to coming here and meeting with us, we got you a, a gift that's near your chair. It's in the oh, Entrepreneurista swag thank bag. Thank you. Thank you very much. I I took the test on the five languages for love. I don't know if anyone knows that Oh, book. yeah, I did and too. No gifts, surprise gifts that I won the gift category. <laughs> yeah, so don't tell me how much you love me. Just get me a gift. <laughs> so, thank you very much. Oh, tell me, what is this that I'm opening? It's one of your founder's products? Or it some? is not. Okay. We wanted to get you something that involved wellness since that is your whole new business and taking care of yourself and then of course you have our oh your book, book. which i've read oh, you but have? i'm happy to have yes, yes <laughs> well not yes. even another copy you can put it in the you can put it in the lounge at the <laughs> i will definitely do that and your entrepreneurista book your journal thank you and thank you very much in there too. The, it, it was it was a gift just to be here you're fun to talk with and certainly inspiring in your own business so thank you very much for this extra well, gift. enjoy and we're so happy to have you here and our last question for you is what does being an entrepreneurista mean to you Someone who feels confident enough in their own ability that they are prepared and ready to hear no, and that won't work from almost everyone they ask, yet they charge forward with it anyway. And someone who's confident and capable of asking for help, because we need help as women along the way in everything we do. If we're to raise families, if that's what we're choosing and to run businesses, and to do uh, aspects of the, or to perform aspects of the business that we really have no clue how to do, we have to be very comfortable saying, I don't know how to do that. I can't do that. I need help. This is too much for me. And I find a lot of women are uncomfortable saying mm -hmm. that and feel that they need to prove something to themselves, to their families, and to their business communities. We have nothing to prove. We just have to go forward and realize that we can't do it all. Just ask for help and be the first to say, I don't know how to do that. I don't know what that means. Can you explain that to me? And you'll be much better off as a result of it. I love that. Well, thank you so much for being here. Where can everyone find you, follow you? And of course... Where can they find the parlor when it opens? Please come to 160 Madison Ave on 33rd Street at the parlor. Find us at, on Instagram at wearetheparlor and at theparlornyc.com. Not to be confused with any of these Irish bars or other <laughs> places because we are the parlor of beauty, the hospitality beauty parlor. So I hope to see everyone there. Certainly you'll be my guest there. Oh, we will definitely yeah. be there. We can't wait. Thank you again. Yes, I'm, thank you. I'm Stephanie. And I'm Courtney. And this is the best business meeting we've ever had. Thanks for listening.